It's Adam Chartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It is Friday, November 11th, 2022, and this is episode number 741. And oh my, my, what a great, oh my goodness, it's such a great episode. I'm very proud of it. Two segments, which seems to be the typical uh, structure of an episode of Film Wax Radio. I'd love to, by the way, get back to doing longer segments and maybe just one per show. We'll see. Lately, it's been two. We have two very different guests, in fact, or types of segments, because in the first, we have an actor from the UK who has been around for decades now uh, named Simon Callow. He's been in a lot of wonderful films. He also is a uh, great theater actor and director and he is an author of, of many biographies and books on various various uh, folks, I guess, and we'll get to that in a moment. And then also in segment two, another amazing booking. When I was at the Woodstock Film Festival about a month or so ago, I had the opportunity to meet Denny Tedesco, the documentary filmmaker who made The Wrecking Crew some years ago, and he's back with a new documentary called Immediate Family. And uh, it's about another group of session musicians that I grew up hearing or seeing on in concerts because they played with all these different musicians that I dug. And so I've grown up with bass player Lee Sklar and uh, that I did this Q&A at the Woodstock Film Festival with Danny and Lee. And that they would end up being on the podcast is just quite exciting thing for me on a personal level. So there you have it. Uh, first up here, and I should mention, by the way, that the Media Family documentary about these this group of session musicians directed by Denny Tedesco is going to have a screening at Doc NYC on Tuesday, November 15th, and then uh, subsequently a number of others. But Lee and the whole band, and I'll get to all that in a little bit, will be there. So, get, you know, get on the on the website, docnyc.net, and book tickets if, if that interests you after you hear all right, but first here, let's talk about Simon Callow. We'll talk about his relationship to the tradition of theater in the UK and his deep respect and fondness for Laurence Olivier and others. Uh, is, um, he started uh, appearing in films even as early as uh, the late 70s into the 80s. He did the first time I noted him. Uh, well, he was in Amadeus, but I don't remember him from that. And then I remember him in A Room with a View back in 1985. And after that, he just started appearing in many, many films, including Maurice, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, Howard's End, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Jefferson in Paris, Ace Ventura when nature calls, because he's actually quite funny, James and the Giant Peach. He was in Shakespeare in Love, has a very memorable role in that, Notting Hill. I think you'll be seeing a lot more of, of Simon Callow uh, as 
now that he's sort of entering a new phase of his career, he's also written biographies of so many amazing folks, including Wagner. He's written three volumes on Orson Welles. He's written on his memoirs of being an actor. He's written about Charles Dickens, Charles Lawton. It's it's just sort of nuts, this guy, how he is able to produce so much. I've asked him, how are you so prolific? We get into it on so many levels. A great actor and author. And now Simon is in a brand new movie called The Payday. Set in a post-pandemic world, The Payday follows a broke and frustrated IT technician who is charged by a crime boss played by Simon Callow to embark on a one-woman heist to steal valuable data worth millions on the black market. Uh, the movie is out as of today, November 11th. Here it is, my conversation with the actor and author, Simon Callow. How do you expect high rewards if you don't take high risks? You fancy logging onto a computer and pulling some information from it. What is the info, exactly? I'll come back to that later. But here's what you need to do. A secret stash. Illegal funds from banker bonuses. There's a question in there somewhere. I need this money. I deserve this money. Five million. For an hour's work. I'll be back here at 1500. Take the bag. What the hell is that? Protection. Boss's orders. Find the back entrance. You'll have a map to direct you to the remote terminal. Hello, how are you? You're the master of technology, I am. Well, it's a really sharp image. It's look, you look sharp. <laughs> You're, you, you've got a lovely sort of veiled quality. That's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> how are you well right. i'm fine Excuse me. <clears throat> i've got a bit of a, something in my throat but i'm fine yes would you like to get some tea or something i've got tea don't mind oh, maybe the tea that's uh, making me so phlegmy <laughs> i'll take a phlegmy simon callow i'll take an unfair <laughs> very thrilled to have you uh <laughs> really am uh it's such a pleasure thank you for for uh making the time to do this not at all and that's it. I, I, I will end it here because it can't, it can't go downhill for me. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Besides being the, you may be the first uh, person or Brit with a C with a CBE after their name that I've had on here. Ah, gosh, I'm sure I won't be the last. I, 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 although I may not, I may be wrong. Now, is Sir Kenneth Branagh? Is he? He's. I don't know that he has the same the same order of the British Empire type of title. Uh, he 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 might be an an a KBE, which is a Knight of the British Knight. Empire, or he might be. Um, uh, there's something else that uh, Knight. Oh, yes. I don't know quite what it is, but it has different in it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It's all, <laughs> well, it's all just a game, isn't it? Really. Sort of, I suppose, but there. Well, it's the, the idea of being, as I am, a commander of an empire that was officially wound up sixty years ago. Um, that's got a nice Alice in Wonderland quality to it, hasn't it? It does. Yeah. Do, what is it, what is, how, uh, is that something that you? Where where do you? Where, where where how do you feel about that when that's 
now associated with this title is associated with you do you, is it something you have a, a great amount of pride about or is it uh, something that's making you self-conscious or maybe you've had a series of, of sort of experiences <laughs> with this I mean, you got used to it you know it doesn't it doesn't come up very much to be honest okay. not many people call me commander callow but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, regrettably I, I, i'll i'll start it i'll start it thank you that's that. great i i am um an honorary bencher of the middle temple you know you know what that is it's it's in uh, the law courts here and um it's um uh, it's a great honor to be made a bencher a bencher basically is is a barrister a lawyer and uh, um but i'm an honorary one but the the the, the honor uh, um, allows me to call myself or be called master callow oh. so it's many years since i've been called master callow but i'm rather <laughs> excited by this one uh, well it's nice when these honors have some practical aspect to them. For example, famously, um, uh, as a freeman of the City of London, I'm entitled to drive sheep across London Bridge. Um, but also, perhaps more directly useful, if I'm very, very drunk, I'm entitled to ask a, a policeman to take me. <laughs> <laughs> they can stop all the traffic. Exactly. While you... While you herd your sheep over the uh exactly that's brilliant brilliant yeah Yeah. i've heard things over the brooklyn bridge but not sheep (laughs) (laughs) love i'll show you the photos afterwards um (laughs) is it true and we will get to the payday which you are uh among the cast members uh it opens on november 11th here in the uh, states but we'll get to that and you're you're, you, you have a lot of close-ups. I just want to add. So if, if people, if you're out there, if you love Simon Callow's face, <laughs> the good news is you'll see camera work that highlights portions of it throughout, like, especially your your mouth. Yes, there's a the, lot of my mouth, isn't there? Yeah. You're on the phone a lot. Mm. Um, so is it true, though, just to clarify, clear up any maybe rumors, is, is it true that when you were starting off that you wrote a letter to Sir Lawrence Olivier? I did. I absolutely did. I was a very stage struck, um, uh, but I had nothing to do with the theater. Obviously it was my first, I was in my first job, my very first job. I left school at 18 determined above all not to go to university. And, uh, so I, I wasn't really quite sure what I did think I, I'd be able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went and worked in a bookshop, which was very obvious for me to do with my bibliomania. Um, and, uh, but from there I sallied forth a lot into the West End of London and, uh, to, to all the various theatres. And one of the, the most uh, remarkable theatres in London at that time was the National Theatre, which was in residence at the Old Vic Theatre before sure. the big new building was built. And it was run by Sir Laurence Olivier, who was, um, not only the director of the company, but also the leading actor in it. And, uh, it's hard to really now describe how extraordinary Laurence Olivier's position in the British theatre was. I mean, he was titanic in a way that absolutely nobody is. Not only titanic by reputation and by personality, but by talent. Uh, um, he was an utterly extraordinary actor, the like of whom I have never seen since. And I saw him again and again at the National Theatre. Wow. And wow. so 
One day I was there at the National Theatre attending a performance and I suddenly thought, what a wonderful organisation this is. And everybody who works here, as far as I can see, the ushers, the people in the box office, the people in the coffee bar, the people in the bookshop and 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 the ushers and so everybody seems to be tremendously animated by the idea of this theatre. And it was, I think, probably at that time the greatest theatre possibly uh, in the world. I mean, certainly by reputation, Maggie Smith, uh, Joan oh Carwright, and all those Sir John Gielgud, Sir Ralph Richardson, then Peggy Ashcroft, Maggie. Maggie was... The, Never heard of any of those people. They sound pretty awesome, though. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so I, I, I just thought... What a what a what a wonderful or, or thing that this exists. It was as simple as that, and so I sat down and I I wrote him a letter and I had had some success uh, with writing to the famous and the great in, the, in so far as I wrote only a little earlier to the Queen, uh, telling her that my great great grandfather had written a mo monograph about. Uh, Saint George and sent it to her grandfather, King George the uh, fifth, and um, unusually he had accepted it into the Royal Library, and we didn't have a copy of it. And I, I asked her if somebody could make a copy of it and send it to me, and so uh, uh, I, I forgot really about it for some time. And then a few months later, the postman knocked on the door with a awed expression on his face because he had a letter in his hand which said on her majesty's private service and wow. no stamp yeah. on it sure. so uh, and the letter was very charming and said you know uh, uh, her majesty has asked me to write to you and, and uh, they gave me a copy of it um which i still have um but anyway so i kind of em 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 emboldened by this i wrote to sir lawrence and uh, uh, to my amazement uh, uh, I, I got a letter by return of post because I explained to him in three foolscap, very closely typed pages, what an excellent theatre he was running. And he, he wrote back and said, well, if you like it so much, why don't you come and work here? There's a job in the box office. And so I came and worked in the box office. And it's a wonderful place to work in a theatre because there are no illusions in the box office. You know exactly which show is doing well and which show isn't doing well, and what the public is saying about these shows, and so on. And um, so I then that was my my real introduction to the the theatre, and it couldn't have been a more extraordinary one because the theatre was just filled with these godlike figures to me, and and also by all, all the other people who work in the theatre that I found out about, you know, the backstage people, the, the stage management, the all the people that go into making a theatre. Yeah, it was as though you were going to a, a university or something. Yep, exactly, exactly. And, 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 and the best of it was that on Monday they didn't do shows in the Old Vic, they just rehearsed on stage. And I used to creep in and watch Peter Brook directing John Gielgud, Sir Lawrence directing the young Derek Jacobi and, and 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 Maggie Smith and so on, and I thought, well, goodness me, this is an awfully good job. I like this job very much. This I, this acting thing, not not because it was glamorous, but because what I saw basically in rehearsals was people standing around saying, well, I don't know how to make this scene work. I don't know. What do you do? I mean, I, I can't make it work. And somebody said, well, why don't you go coming on left instead of right? And you said, yeah. all right. Oh, great. Thanks. That really works. I thought, what a good job solving these kind of problems. And um, 
That was it, really. I went to, uh, I ran away then to university just to learn how to act. And then I realized that I was so bad that it took rather more um, uh, intensive uh, um, uh, maneuvers to get me into shape. So then I left university and then went to drama school. Well, I mean, is it fair to say, oh, by the way, in my younger years when I was, you know, we would get all the movie, wonderful movies often with Derek Jacobi and Jeremy Irons. Yep. When I, it wasn't until I visited London a number of times and would always make a point of going to the theater and mm. I saw those very actors on stage. Mm. Like, oh, I understand. This is why these guys are big stars here because <laughs> they actually have incredible craft. Uh, yeah or have have mastered this incredible craft. And yeah. Is it fair to say that you sort of fashioned maybe your career by uh, like uh, 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 after Olivier and those, those guys, because not only did you, you eventually you have spent a great amount of time directing and acting in theater as well as film and, 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 and you're also an author. I mean, I found out much more than I even was aware of by <laughs> doing a little research. My goodness, you, you are make multi hyphenates sound. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing, but you really have, you really are just like the the original Renaissance guy. Turns out, uh, but did you? Is it fair to say that you? Which one? Uh, even in this movie, <clears throat> even in the payday, which we'll get to. <laughs> this is my <laughs> technique. I you catching on? The, really? Even in the, but even in the payday, there is an essence because Olivier, for instance, and Michael Caine, other actors have sort of done these types of, uh, you know, where they play sort of wicked, um, you know, yeah. characters in in these comic uh, or lighthearted, uh, yeah. you know, thrillers or what have you, right? I mean, there's a there is a a, a history or yeah of, yeah. of that or, um, in in the UK especially those types of uh, so I don't know. We're very That's good at playing very villain. long-winded way of asking you if you fashion your career on those guys because it seems to have worked out well. No, nobody, in my view, ever fashions a career. <laughs> okay, Careers enough. sort of happen uh, according to the circumstances that prevail. And my career was nothing remotely like anything that I thought it would be. What I thought was, three years at drama school, I'll go into a repertory theatre with any luck for three years or something like that, or maybe more. I'll learn more while I'm there. Then if I'm very, very lucky, I'll creep back into London. And possibly, if I was unbelievably lucky, I'd join the National Theatre and then stay there for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And none of that happened. None of that whatever happened. I, I, I sort of leapfrogged from one thing to another by chance, good luck, but particularly because the theatre was changing already by then very rapidly. Mm-hmm. And the repertory theatres were already in decline, starved of money by the central government, or rather by, by the local authorities who, who were starved of money by the central government. Um, no company no theatre could hold a company the way they used to. They used to have a company of 20 or 25 actors or more in Nottingham, in Newcastle, in Manchester. And then actors wanted to stay there for two or three, but that all died. Um, uh, uh, and to, so what happened to me instead was that I I, 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 I went to Edinburgh uh, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, did a play which was in the Edinburgh Festival two plays that were in the Edinburgh Festival, went to repertory. My only repertory experience was about three months in the Lincoln Rep, which was remarkable. Uh, but uh, I left after three months to go some back to Edinburgh. 
I did a show in the Edinburgh Festival again uh, 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 a couple of years after I'd returned to Edinburgh, which transferred to London. I was in the West End only three years after I'd uh, uh, acted in, uh, I'd, I'd left drama school. And then within a couple more years, I was at the National Theatre playing Mozart and Amadeus. So that's not a career like Laurence Olivier had. I mean, I had a much better career than Laurence Olivier's original, uh, initial career, you know. And then the, by, even by the time I went to the National, where there was a standing company, this, its days were numbered. About five more years of that, and then now every play is cast individually, you know. Uh, it's not good. It's not nearly so good. But that's the way forward for the theatre, is ensemble. And that's why we still see in the German theatre and the, dare I say it, Russian theatre, in various theatres around the world, French theatre, which have standing companies, they grow in a different kind of way. It's, it's better, that's all. It's just better. The English are terribly good at flying by the seat of their pants, so we sort of get on with it and, and, and make a good show. But, uh, but depth is uh, another thing. Depth and growth. <coughs> They're a bit absent at the moment. Uh, and and Charles Dickens, <laughs> that's someone who that's an uh, so, uh, a person who ended up playing a significant role in your at least uh, mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, uh, um, it it uh, occasionally it happens um, that uh, a, a writer that you 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 kind of absolutely find a a, a huge um, common bond with a writer, a dead writer. And uh, I have with several writers, um, none of them, unfortunately, were playwrights, uh, including Charles Dickens. So I've had to involve myself in adaptations of his work or indeed in playing him, which I've done quite a lot, um, and reviving certain things that nobody knows about, um, monologues that he wrote, which he performed with, Oh. staggering brilliance because he is the only world-class writer who was also a supreme performer himself and so i didn't know that oh he was the i mean he did he did the readings or uh, what he did basically yeah. and he did them all over the country britain and and then in america as well and oh. um uh, he filled stadiums of three thousand people how he did it vocally i have no idea how he managed to play those vast barns with no training at all but he did it by willpower is what he did but because everybody knew who he was he was unquestionably the most famous man in, in the world and because they knew his books almost as well as he did uh the 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 experience for people of hearing this stuff performed so wonderfully by him that the great actors uh, and not all great actors are generous uh, uh, literally said well thank god he's not an actor because we'd all be out of a job he's just supreme i mean supreme um and i understood that that uh, he, he wanted to be an actor you know originally and uh, could so easily have done. It was a turning point. I was going to join an acting company or become a shorthand reporter in Parliament. And uh, the day he went to audition for the greatest actor manager of his day, Charles Keane, um, 
he got a sort of neuralgia down the side of his face and he couldn't perform. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, well, whether it was psychosomatic or, 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 or real, it's hard to know. But um, anyway, um, so that I understood that this is why he's such a kindred spirit, because he's a performer, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I understand that. His, 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 his Dickens, which, which daunts some people on the page, just try reading it out loud and it immediately falls into place, you know. It's amazing. Wow. And and, and and have you written on about Dickens? Yeah, I wrote a biography of Dickens. You did write yeah. a biography. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. You don't Written a few out. biographies. Yeah, uh, Kane, another? Kane. Um, um, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, Orson Welles? <laughs> I, I, see, I remember <laughs> Citizen Kane, I'm thinking of. Uh, <laughs> I didn't write that one. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been writing a book about Wells now since 1989, and three volumes of it have come out. And the fourth and final needs to be written. Uh, I've written a, a biography of Wagner, of a short one of Oscar Wilde, um, Charles Lawton. Did I mention Charles Lawton? No. Uh, and um, somebody else. <laughs> somebody else. <laughs> I can't quite you, what about? And 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 yet not an autobiography. That that doesn't does that not interest? Well, you? yes. No, I suppose my first book is an autobiography of sorts, being an okay. actor. And then there's a book called My Life in Pieces, which is a collection of many of the things that I've written, but interspersed with, that it sort of tells my, my the story of my life in the theatre. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wrote a book called Love is Where It Falls, which is about my very intense relationship with a famous uh, literary agent called Peggy Ramsey, and my then partner, um, who died. Um, and uh, it's a it's a pretty um, emotional book, mm. I have to say. I can't. Wait. I would like to read it. It's, it's. I think it's still in print. God, God. How do you? You can't. Uh, well, I'll find it. Don't worry about that. How? How is it though that you can be that prolific a writer or author and not consider that your primary work or job? I mean, it's. Um, it seems like almost anything else would be sort of secondary or tertiary and. That because being, uh, I just ima uh, imagine taking t the write a book or in this, you know, maybe a, um, a series of books on on Wells like that would be take the majority of your time. <laughs> and, and yeah, there's 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 one word that I explains it, and that's greed. I'm just a very greedy person, and uh, when faced with various opportunities, yeah. I just can't ever say no to any of them, and. Uh, it's sort of a uh, uh, stupid. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a. I understand. It's a. Uh, it's a medical condition. The inability, <laughs> the inability to say no. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it really um, is. And uh, uh, Wells, uh, Wells is the suff He's suffered worst. But uh, I am finally getting on with that. In a couple of weeks, I'll start that. And I, I also I write. One of the great pleasures of my life is um, I write reviews for the New York Review of Books, and um, that's a pretty serious shit because. Uh, they're jolly long, yeah. and it's a sort of paper of record, and uh, they're very, very scrupulous, like the New Yorker, about every tiny fact or factoid that you might uh, serve up. So I'm just reviewing um, Paul Newman's uh, memoirs. You know, they've just come out, Extraordinary Life of an Ordinary Man, it's called, and uh, they're about 7,000 words long, these reviews. So they're, they're, Which is they're, only slightly longer than Paul Newman's memoir. <laughs> Absolutely right. It's true. <laughs> no, having seen that four-part 
yeah interesting wasn't it documentary series though i was i mean that was just amazing the uh, ethan hawk project it was fascinating yeah yeah, yeah. uh uh and then uh what was it? i was just gonna say oh people should check out simoncallow.com you actually also you your your writing is uh available for, for consumption on, on your <laughs> website as well uh, right. just an incredibly prolific guy. I don't know how or why you made time for me. That makes no <laughs> sense. At all. Are you, and you're in this new, uh, I guess you could call it a thrill ride. It's a romantic comedy. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it sort of has a tone, you know, could have fallen off a number of times because the tone is so important of a, for a film like this, that is trying to do a number of things at the same time, genre wise. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of, I think it does succeed. I, uh, maybe yeah. a, the only flaw is that you're not in it as much as I'd like to see, but <laughs> that's always Thank the you. case, even when you're the star of a, one of the stars of a movie. So I'm, I'm like a homeopathic uh, treatment. Uh, a very small amount of me is more effective <laughs> than a larger. Um, you don't want to build a resistance to Simon Callow. So <laughs> only small doses, right? <laughs> exactly. But uh, no, I enjoy doing it very much. I, I do think it's very witty and very stylishly done and on a it tiny is. budget. Uh, a really uh, yeah. uh, confident work. And uh, um, uh, it's great to find very young filmmakers with such confidence. It's just great. It's lovely. Well, I hope to see you, uh, I, I, you know, whether it's in uh, lots more of you, after, maybe after you finish this next volume of the... Because <laughs> I think that's going to preoccupy a bit of your time in the next year. But um, it, thank you again. And uh, uh, the name of the movie, which we... <laughs> I tried to squeeze in as much as possible. I did see it and enjoy it thoroughly. The payday. It's going to be premiering theatrically, I guess, uh, theatrically, I, I, from what I could tell, on November 11th here in the States. It'll be yeah. able to see it one way or another, and it, Simon Callow is among its cast members. And, yeah, thank you so much. It was such a delight to uh, talk to you. It's a, um, a pleasure. Thank you. All right. So enjoy the rest of your evening and your tea. <laughs> I'm gonna seriously. I'm gonna look for your start catching up on 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 your books. I I'm I'm a, I'm a voracious reader myself. So well, there you are. Shame on me for not uh, having read any of them yet. <laughs> Indeed, disgrace. <Thank> you. <laughs> bye bye. Steps of 1960s session icons, the Wrecking Crew, musicians Leland Sklar, Danny Korchmar, Russ Kunkel, and Wally Wachtel backed iconic singer-songwriters of the 70s, 80s, and beyond, creating some of the most recognizable tunes in rock music. In this entertaining follow-up to his acclaimed documentary, The Wrecking Crew, director Danny Tedesco, son of famed guitar player Tommy Tedesco reveals the machinery behind the booming era of the singer-songwriter when the talents of these four musicians were in furious demand. The foundations of their enduring friendship, formed on the road and in studios, is recalled with dynamite clarity, 
reminisced with fondness through intimate interviews with the players themselves, as well as the memories of some of music's most iconic voices, including legendary folks like Carol King, James Taylor, Linda Ronstadt, Keith Richards, Keith Richards, Don Henley, David Crosby, Jackson Brown, and Phil Collins. Immediate Family is a backstage tour of rock history. It the the film Immediate Family, which is the named after the band that these session musicians again, Lee, Danny Korchmar, Russ Kunkel, and Wadi Wachtel have created a, a band of their own. They've been putting out albums. It's they call themselves Immediate Family. The documentary is called Immediate Family. It will have its next series of screenings at Doc NYC in New York City, beginning Tuesday, November fifteenth at nine thirty p.m. at the IFC Center. The whole gang is showing up for that. Wednesday, November 16th at 1.45 p.m. at the Sinopolis Chelsea Theater. And I understand they've added already another screening on the 17th. Check DACANYC.net for details because I don't know that third screening at this point. Anyway, I'm lucky enough to have on Denny, again, the director of these two uh, films, The Wrecking Crew and now Immediate Family, as well as Lee Sklar, who I was so thrilled to talk to. I, we Again, we met at the Woodstock Film Festival and uh, where we did a Q&A together. Uh, Steve Postel, also in The Wrecking Crew, was there too. And it was just a joy and a pleasure to uh, meet these guys. And I, it was good I made that connection because Lee agreed to come on and do the podcast along with Denny. You can watch this on the YouTube channel if you prefer, as you can. You could with uh, see the Simon Callow as well. I should have mentioned that before, I guess. I'm a work in progress, so please forgive me. Anyway, here it is. This is, uh, again, my conversation with Denny Tedesco and Lee Scalar right here on Film Wax Radio. shit together it would be really good I, I, well I told you it's helpless you know it's fruitless you know the beard's fake how are you Leland I'm fine <laughs> <laughs> don't get me I didn't know props were optional but well I, I look at anything I can do to get me in the game is really good <laughs> I, I saw that red mic uh screen uh oh yeah the pop there i just thought you know i may as well join in <laughs> i i i know i do it's fantastic <laughs> I, I, i'm so sorry that i can't contribute um, you know, many... how, how was phoenix it's awesome i'm so i'm sitting in a, you know retirement community obviously you know big their theater is the best i've been in yet 
you know, it's 300 seaters and it's filled at 10 a.m. I started oh, the fantastic. talk. I told him, I said, first of all, my alarm just went off, which is for my wake up call. And you guys were already here. <laughs> so, well, they like, already had breakfast. Oh, and... oh, Are yeah. you at a Florida film festival? No, no. I'm at a, um, a cinema society. This guy, Andy Friedberg, he's, he brought out Wrecking Crew many, many years ago. He's one of the first people that found me and started, you know, I would play at a society, cinema society in Phoenix in San Diego. Okay. So uh, Leland and I did San Diego two days ago. Yeah, the night before last. Yeah. yeah, and it was, it's just, you know what it is, it's so much fun because for me, I'm hitting people that would not necessarily be watching this film and they become my little soldiers. You know, mm-hmm. our demographic is great. It's perfect, you know, 70 plus. They're really old. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say anything, but, you know, we're rushing to get them to see it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Right, Leland? It's, well, it's when, when you have Metamucil and Maalox as the sponsors for the uh, thing. It's <laughs> Sarah Tan. Don't forget, I'm going for the Depends. <laughs> hey, what are you wearing? Uh, depends. <laughs> what are you wearing? Uh, depends. <laughs> This is how it's going to go, isn't it, Adam? (laughs) I could care less. I'm so thrilled uh, to have you guys to have you guys on. It's like a. What do you? Are you in Woodstock? What's that? You live in Woodstock? No, I live. I don't live terribly far. I'm a city guy originally. I mean, I was down the city a really long time, but I'm now on the other side of the Hudson, so on the New York City side of the Hudson north of the city of Lowell. Yeah, not terribly far from Woodstock. There's so much music up here, though. I mean, um, it's really great. And I work at a radio station, so I'm like... You're inundated. Yeah, yeah. That's great, though. Yeah, yeah. It's a real independent, like it's a real indie radio station. All of the sponsors are regional, you know, like um, individually owned independent, like businesses. So it's, it's just an amazing... Thing, you kind know, of like just PBS. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. They could use a couple of big uh grants though, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> like PBS. But get yeah. You, get you the Coke brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. So I mean, let's see, when was when was our Woodstock Film Festival uh screening? Um uh it would have been, I guess, uh Most a month ago, maybe. Like one month ago, maybe, yeah feels like it. It's weird because it feels like yesterday, but then again, so much has gone on so quickly. Yeah, what has? And because we went from, so we left you, Woodstock. Nashville. No, we went to Wichita first. Oh. And then Nashville. And Leland and I left Woodstock at two in the morning, got to the airport, flew to Wichita, did Wichita that night, and then the next morning flew to Nashville. Mm. And we got two audience awards, one in Woodstock and one in Wichita. So deserved. Well, it they makes us really feel well. The audience, What's that? The audiences were great, and we did the Q and A's, and and you know there there were insightful questions and stuff. So it was really a, a a pleasurable experience. I loved it. I wish I could do every single one of them. Because this yeah. is different for you, right? I mean, you oh, uh, Lee, right? You you yeah. haven't done most of the time. You're talking when you're talking to audience members. It's about music, not necessarily like film right yeah yeah is it a different is it a different feeling it's a totally different it's a different feeling 
And uh, yeah, it's a totally different headspace because I'm coming at it from a completely different angle mm -hmm. uh, because they're addressing our history. And usually when I'm talking about something, I'm addressing the moment. Right. A current so, project or the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's been it's been really a, a, an exceptional thing. And, and and for me, really, the joy of this has been for the fact that, first off, uh, the connection I feel with Denny is huge just because I worked with his dad so much. I mean, he was one of my favorite players ever. And I was a massive fan of the Wrecking Crew from the get-go. So to have a continuum like this going on is is pretty cool. Yeah, I love it. I really, I really love it. It's it's funny because last I think it was yesterday in the Q and A, Lee, someone brought something up. I can't remember how it came up. I said, or basically how we knew each other. And I said, well, I actually met Leland first time was during the making of the Wrecking Crew. I said. You know, we'd be doing a book, not a book signing, a DVD signing at Amoeba Records. A hundred people around the corners waiting to sign, uh, you know, DVD of, from Hal Blaine and Don Randy. And there's Lee in the middle of the line. I said, what are you doing? Get over here. You know, Lee was like so supportive. You know what I mean? It was like he was always there. Always there. When the guys had, had their hands in cement, Lee was there. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that are not as real as Lee. Good or bad, Lee. Yeah, I know. Looking at this, it doesn't look real anyhow. So. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, you know, the way I got a sense of Lee, of your personality, and I think I mentioned this when I met you, is that, you know, I had came upon come upon your YouTube channel yeah. uh, during the pandemic and started watching it, kind of got it getting a little addicted to it, I don't mind saying. And, I, and there, you know, you really just... I just it was like this uh combination of your uh anecdotes you know about playing with so many musicians and i didn't realize i did and one thing i appreciate because i have the same sensibility around music is and this goes to the whole band the media family that it's not the like you know corporate corporations and music companies decided this song or this album goes into this genre yeah and and this but as a musician, you don't come from that space. You come from, this is soulful music and this is authentic music. I don't care what you want to call it. And yeah. I want to play on it. And I want to play with this person because, you know, they're either really cool or they're talented or they're just somebody I, that holds a certain mystique for me. And I want to, you know, get to know them. And I, I, and I just got that whole sensibility, um, if that's the right word, through your YouTube channel as well. And I'm like, as then you would talk about your own frustrations and things that were coming up during the pandemic and the lockdown. Yeah. And I was just getting, I was like, you know, I got really involved, you know? So. Uh, and, it's, it's, it was a, it was a godsend for me. I mean, it, it, that whole channel started totally by accident. Um, I had mm -hmm. no idea I was starting a YouTube channel. I was just addressing a couple of questions. Somebody had, had sent me after a Phil Collins tour and, um, Next thing I know, I'm sitting here 1,200 videos later. So, wow. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's crazy, but I I, I still love it uh, as much as the first day I did it. And uh, Wow, that's something. It's a, it's a real adventure every day. I mean, when we finish this this interview right now, then at 1 o'clock, we have a band one to discuss our album cover. And in between, I'll do today's YouTube video. <laughs> so. <laughs> But in my heart of hearts, I really wish I was in Phoenix um, yeah. 
to because I, I just love going to these things. Yeah. It's, well, you're well. We have the Doc NYC one. I don't know if that's the next yeah. one you're doing. We'll be but there. That, I guess that's one of the re- main reasons why we're together today is because they're Doc NYC, and I actually worked with that film festival one year, and I know the people that run it. They're great people. They're such invested in. They've really made doc. They've contributed to making documentaries like a real thing you know in the last 20 years you know That's um great. yeah and so that film it's the and i think it's become like the largest documentary film festival in the world and your screening of immediate family is on uh tuesday november 15th at 9 30 p.m at the ifc center so you'll be hanging out at the village at a what all the guys will be there yeah the whole band will be there yeah how does and yeah. then the 16th also yeah so oh, well, right. Are you going to do both uh, Q and A's? Is that what you're saying? I'm doing, I'm doing both for sure. Oh, no. so can I, can I break in for a second? No. Break in? It's, of course you can. Breaking news. Yeah. 17th. They think they're adding another day. It's the, they just got a note just like 20 minutes ago from the festival that said they're thinking about adding another day because whatever we're doing is we're doing it right and they're selling. Right. If it, yeah, because if you're going to sell out, that's what, of course, they leave certain amounts of uh, open yeah, so I'm spots thrilled. for... So we've got a third day coming up. Okay, so we'll, I'm just... We'll, we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, no, I'm thrilled. I mean, because, you know, it's like playing it in New York City. We haven't even played it in L.A. Right. That's the funniest thing. Is yeah. People go, when do you play at home? It's like, oh, we'll get there. You know, well, you know, there's no real film festival. I mean, it's interesting because oh. the LA Film Festival went away about five oh. years ago. Yeah, it's wacky. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's just, I don't want to say typical of LA. Mm-hmm. We don't appreciate what we have. We have the greatest musicians, the greatest actors, the greatest this. And it, only until two years ago did we have the Motion Picture Museum. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's almost like, and in a weird way, when I was making Wrecking Crew, there was something about how things get tossed aside very quickly. Disposability. It's a business. It's a building. It's, you know, it's, it's you know, personality. I mean, you know, guys get, oh, a new guy comes in, oh, guy, yeah. You know, the studios, you know, like uh, Gold Star, gone. It's a, uh, whatever it is. And that's how I think L.A. has always been. And I'm from L.A. It's my hometown. I'm born and raised there. I'm most likely will die there, but I, it, it's a transient town as much as it is my hometown. And I think we hit lose respect where other places, you know, they really do respect the arts. Like in, I'm going to St. Louis for the film festival. I'm going to Minneapolis, Coronado. Uh, they have film festivals and they fill them. That's what's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, people. It's so weird with LA that I mean, this is really one of the great centers of of film in the world. I mean, people think of of LA, you know, in Hollywood, and they think of the movies, and yet not to have a film festival is like it's it's almost a slap in the face at itself. <sighs> I don't. I, I mean, there's things like you know what Andy's doing and stuff, and when more my wife was taking a class through UCLA called yeah. Sneak Preview. And, and and Denny came and showed the Wrecking Crew there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a, that's a little thing. It's not like a film festival. It's these individual people that have a passion for film and they set up 
these right. things and, and they and they do them, which is fantastic. But to actually have an official thing where they're, you know, days or a week of movies or something to really see what the world's got to offer, not to have that is really kind of uh, pathetic. That's, yeah, right. that's why I'm really looking forward to New York, because in a sense, it's the second home for these guys, even though they didn't do a lot of recording, but it's their friends. It's the same, you know, that business yeah. of, sure. of music. I mean, in those days, it was New York and L.A., yep. you know, and, you know, you had their sections going on, you know, you had the Richard T's and the Steve Gads and all those guys. Yeah. And these guys are on this, the West Coast. So I'm looking forward to really showing it there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'm sure you'll have a, your big premiere and everybody everybody, and everybody will come out for that and you'll have a big party. I mean, as far I just have a theory about the L.A. The film festival thing. I mean, it did have one for a bunch of years. I mean, Dawn Hudson ran it. I think anyway so so but I I only say this because it it, it's a it's a film it's a Hollywood studio town it's not a and and most of the films that end up in film festivals are independent films or they're art films or they're in international you know films and so um other than a couple of let's say world premieres where they bring out the bigger titles and they don't even need that because they're premiering those that you know they're having splashy events for those films already yeah. So it's almost maybe superfluous to have, a, but but the the losses for all those folks that want to see documentaries like Wrecking Crew and Immediate Family, uh, and and have that experience of seeing films for the first time and engaging with the filmmakers and the and the the subjects yeah. of the films in this case, <laughs> and it's a really cool experience for a lot of people. That's why it works so well in St. Louis and in other other towns you mentioned because the people feel it's like a exciting moment where they're they become the ambassadors also the films they are the ones that are gonna create a buzz around a film or, or it's not gonna yeah. you know yeah. so it's just yeah i mean just like the, like lee and i saw the other day we went to the cinema society in san diego uh-huh. it's not a festival but mm-hmm. those it's like god i wish i did this at home i said you know in la it would be fun to you know, go once a month, you know, see you know a new film that no one's seen yet, and like you said, meet the filmmakers, mm-hmm. you know. But you know, I, it, they're they're out there. We'll find those places, and, and I just enjoy it. Yeah. This is the best part for me. You know, someone said, "Are you tired? You know, are you tired of it?" No, no. This is the fun. <laughs> like Lee said, you know, he really wants to be here because it is fun to watch every. I never got tired of watching Wrecking Crew. I was just telling someone the other just now. Right. I wait to see in this film are they how the audience is going to be. I go by the first laugh. Do you know, I can read the first laugh. Are we okay? Or are we going to be in danger? You know, after that. And then I then I take a breath. I'm okay. And as soon as, as, soon as Wadi, the first. That's it. Look. That's the that is out it. Of his mouth, the place breaks up. <laughs> I mean, there's, 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 there's no uh, governor on that one. So. No, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think I'm going to play, be playing a lot of churches on this one. <laughs> That's great, but it's so much fun to sit and just watch people responding. And it was so sweet the other down in San Diego. I mean, we were. Russ Kunkel and Danny and I were sitting up in the very back row of the theater um, watching from back there. And when the thing ended, people, a lot of people knew we were there and they stood up and turned around and faced us and clapped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's pretty deep at that yeah. point. And uh, 
It was so much fun to uh, negotiate our way down those stairs to the stage to do the Q&A and some really insightful questions, you know, that were, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, people were really engaged in it. And I think f- for so many of them, they're really seeing this movie really kind of solidified the the musical fabric of their lives because uh, of that demographic, the, all that stuff that we played on for the most part is the stuff that they were listening to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to bring it that much closer to them where they're really seeing the guys that did it and talking about it and hearing the artists talking about it. It's a unique experience. Oh, um, Lee, you know, um, George was at our, the George Go was at our festival yesterday, or screening yesterday. It was great because George is one of the photographers that used to hang out and he was like best friends with um, Warren Zevon. Zevon, yeah. Wow. You know, and it was great to have his input at the Q and A. Oh, great. You know what I mean? Just saying a couple of stories. I was like, you know, I go, I, I never get tired of these stories. They're always new to me. It's different ones. Um, yeah. Well, you mentioned Warren Zevon. He's one of the many um, subjects or, you know, that are, or artists that are, you guys, the media family has played with and that is um, highlighted, I guess, in the film. And I, and I remember at the Woodstock festival screening that there was somebody asked for an anecdote. Uh, is this, is, does he hold, I mean, obviously he passed away quite much early, too early, but does he, um, is this like somebody who a lot of people ask about in general or, or. Um, there's, just... al- there's always a buzz about Warren because he was a real integral part of that whole period. And, and one of the more unique artists. Uh, totally. Of that period. Yeah. And, and yeah. there's still to this day, there's there's still a huge undercurrent of people wanting him to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's not mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. And and people are posting all the time. Why isn't Warren in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And Waddy's stories about how he hooked up with Warren in it is so good. Yeah. And uh, it's to me, it's one one of the more uh, enjoyable segments in the whole movie, the way he talks yeah. about needing Warren. I, I've, I've seen it now a few times. And I just laugh every time because that's definitive Waddy. Mm-hmm. And Warren probably. And and Warren. So it was it was great. Uh, I, you know, but, you know, some people ask about it. I, a lot of people think about it. You know, the hard part with Q&As is, is a lot of people have, you know, like they'll come up to me afterwards and they'll go, I really wanted to ask. And then they tell me what they were going to ask. I go, Why didn't you ask that? But they're kind of shy. They don't want to get on the mic. And well, ask, yeah, they think their question might be stupid or something. I go, no, that would have been great, you know. So well, also, Lee, uh, you know what I found? I've, I've done so many Q and As, and I mean, immediate family is maybe doesn't quite fall into the this what I'm about to say, but as much as some other films, it's like you watch a film, and typically after you watch something like a film, you have to let it sink in. It has to ru- you ruminate, and then so. But with the Q and A, it's right away. You yeah. have no time. You kind of just jump into it. So some people might just feel like I kind of really don't have a question. I, I'd love to connect with these, guys, you know, the people right. there. But um, yeah, you know, I'm and, sure there's an element of that. Of, yeah, uh, I mean, but I've always found too bad you can't go out for dinner, bring everybody back into the theater, you know, for the conversation because people would have some time to kind of figure out what's on I their minds. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe not so much for immediate family. It sort of has this immediate kind of, well, um, yeah, uh, well, there's a gun so much fun. And it's just. It's, yeah, it's funny because I was at a, uh, I went to see Banshees the other day at, in a Q&A. And Lee, I was, I wanted to ask this person a bunch of questions. And I was shy too. I didn't realize, yeah. oh yeah, I'm on the other side. <laughs> what was the, what did you see? 
um, the Banshee movie, the one. Um, oh. what do you call it? Um, I don't want me to put you on the spot. Yeah, that's okay. But I, now I can't remember. It's the ban- um, It's the one, the Irish film. Uh, yeah. Danny, did you have you? I know that you had gotten the big uh, the the big D um, word thing worked out. Yeah, I think even by the time I met you uh, last month. But uh, distribution. Oh no, we haven't gotten that yet. That's still sort of something. Yeah, that's why navigating. that's why it's really you know it's funny because okay, it, I just every audience I tell I said listen, and it's these films are word of mouth. You know, I mean we we're not. Yeah. We're not going to kill with a $20 million deal in Sundance. That's not us. You know what I mean? It took the reason Wrecking Crew took so long is the, there was no belief that it would ever make money. So when I was raising that money from 96 to 2015 to get it out, I needed this much. But people said, you're never going to get it because it's never going to make this much. It's going to make this much. Oh. So there was that economics. Well, we did make this much in the end. Yeah. But it's so a you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I had a lot of, I get a lot of that. <laughs> I got a lot of people on that list. I can't wait. Um, but it was, it was the belief. It's funny because um, Andy did a fabulous thing from the cinema society talked about me and it was really lovely and stuff. I crossed a line on Wrecking Crew. People think I was, uh, possessed. I was possessed because I crossed a line. Well, once I did the festivals and we did so well and no one was picking us up, I had no choice but to keep going because I had just invested my house, my family, my future into that. So I had to go and gamble and keep going until we got it out. Mm-hmm. So was I possessed? Yeah. I believe in the film. I knew I was okay because I've seen it hundreds of times with real audiences. But it was the audiences that got that film out because they spread the word. So all of a sudden, when I got all that money, we raised over half a million dollars in it in the end to pay off the licensing from, I mean, we had everything but a bake sale. I'm telling you, we did everything. And it was the audiences that got me to the finish line. And, you know, there were no, you know, people say, who helped you? I said, well, Wells Fargo, Amex, you know, Mm -hmm. be available. Yeah, they all took. Uh, they all took <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, but, corporate sponsors. Yeah, like. corporate sponsors. Yeah. But, <laughs> That's a funny. It's it's a great so these films yeah. need word of mouth. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's why I try to emphasize at those things because people don't realize how important they're just sharing this information can be. It could be a lifeline for yeah. you know a film. There's so many, you know. Yeah. But I, mean, I think any, this. It's anything in the arts too. I mean, yeah. talk about. It's a good I mean, point. You, you, album. You're, I mean, you, yeah. nowadays, since there's so few labels and stuff, and so many people are cutting indie recording projects, and when they're finished, what do you do with it? Other than hopefully get a few people to hear it, to dig it, and then they start making posts about. On my YouTube thing, I just I just posted a thing about a, a, an artist I did uh, mm-hmm. about a year ago named Laurie Basilio who's a, um, from Sao Paulo, Brazil. She's a incredible, she's like a cross between like Satriani and Steve Vai. And, and she's a, amazing, but a guitar goddess. posting her stuff and promoting her on my channel. And all of a sudden people are on there going, we've added her to our Spotify. She's incredible. We want to do this. And then she comes on and goes, thank you so much for this helping getting, the- I mean, this really is a community that puts all it this is. stuff together. You, 
you know, the big companies, when you're dealing like with Marvel movies and all that, they got this big machine that's going to mm-hmm. ram. I mean, they talk about blockbusters before it's even been released. It's really yeah. shouldn't be a blockbuster until it proves itself. But yeah. you know, they've got the hype machine going. But what you really hope for is when somebody comes to you and go, I just saw this great film and you got to go check it out. And then somebody does. And then they call some friends and, and it, it really is, it takes that community to really build the, uh, the interest level on this. And then it can yeah. take on a whole life of its own. And- well, you know, it's funny. You said something Lee and during the, and when we were doing the wrecking crew, there was people come up to me because don't forget, I got it out in the festivals in 08, 09. And then, and, you know, people come up to me and I love your film. I saw it that I, how'd you see it? I saw it on the bus of the Perry Coma tour. I saw it on the, the Elton John flight. I saw it. It was like, everybody saw it. So they had bootlegs and it cracked me up because the moments, there was moments like, Oh, really? Come on. But the thing was, it was the musicians that spread the word. They're like, musicians are like always wanting, I don't want to say one up on each other. It's like, Oh man, you should see this guy. Oh man, you should check out my bass. And and they, they're excited about things to share. Musicians are probably one of the less, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm being, putting you guys too high up, but in terms of jealousy, you know what I mean? You do work with each other. It's you, a real supportive community. You have to be. Everybody's rooting for each other. Unless you're a classical guitarist all by yourself. That's it. <laughs> uh, and, and by the way, I think the, I mentioned I worked at a radio station. Is it, is it possible we just got a new single from Immediate Family? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the toughest girl in town, which was a Sparks tune, and uh, Waddy and Cooch heard it, and they oh. fell in love with it and said, "We've got to do that. That's a perfect song for us." And that just came out. Um, I think it's been out since it, it came out last Friday, and it and it was number ninety four, I think, on Spotify uh, a day and a half later. Oh, so, so it 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 has some legs going on, and the and the video i think comes out this weekend it's really a good video (laughs) timely really timely and powerful uh imagery in it there's a little of us but there's a whole other side to this video and it's really amazing so it's all exciting you know this is this is a a thrilling time in all of our lives to uh you know still be doing this i think covid you know i know this sounds crazy but for a lot of us and, and especially with this band COVID, I think, made us all think uh, differently about our past sure. during our current, you know, what we were doing then. Um, these guys never stayed. They could have easily, eh, whatever, we won't do this. They could have walked away. But instead, every Friday they have their meetings and, and their, whatever their Zooms are. Um, and then they put out these videos where, again, by themselves. Don't forget everybody's five of them are filming themselves. Mm-hmm. And they were able to do something that I could never do. Many of us can't do. And it was extraordinary because they just, they were like 20 year olds. And I don't mean that derogatory because you're, you know what I mean? You've already succeeded. You've already done things. You could easily walk away, just enjoy the rest of your life and just keep playing or whatever. But they still have that hunger, which is, which we all want is still yeah. have that hunger to see where the next thing goes, you know? Yeah. We don't, like you said in the movie, Lee, you still get excited every time the phone rings. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. Every time now I get an email, you know, or something, it's like, oh, yeah, we got another one. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's thrilling. 
It's yeah. absolutely thrilling. I mean, this is what we've done our whole lives. And, and and it's one of those things like people have said to me over the years. They said, so when are you going to retire? And you go, from what? <laughs> you know, this is not this is not your typical job. This is something that you would have been doing every day if you were doing something else, you know, to pay yeah. your bills, like if you were in the corporate world or something like that. Well, it's the it, it's what the that's what people say they when they retire, they're gonna start doing with their time. Yeah. It's what you do for yeah. a living. I mean, we've been so fortunate. I mean, and it's not yeah, it's it's not like a fortunate that was handed to us. Everybody's busted their balls over the years to really get to where they are and work really hard at 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 honing their craft. But the idea of suddenly going, well, you know, it's, there's a pandemic going on, so let's just call it. I mean, nothing's going to happen. It was exciting to have to suddenly discover new opportunities uh, because we're, we're fortunate tech, from the technological standpoint that that sites like Acapella came along where we could assemble videos by oh. doing individual shots. And then it, it, the site itself would kind of help put the whole thing together. And so we were releasing all kinds of stuff during that. We we were it, it, trying to release as much content as possible to keep the brand uh, mm-hmm. on people's minds. And and it became as tragic a period as it was, because I've had a, a number of friends die from COVID and others that are long haul COVID. And all. There's no way you would ever diminish the, the, the real horror of what this thing has has wrought upon us. But it also was a time that really afforded us reflection on what was important, what was working, and when it right. wasn't there, how are you going to address that and and oh. and continue on? And it became a really creative period, if you wanted it to be. I mean, a lot of people really fell into doldrums and were ready to pack it all in. But we were we were we were pissed, you know. We're kind of going, man, we're finally getting our shot, and then all hell goes to, breaks loose. So. Um, we wanted just to keep plowing right through this thing. You were like the train, but with a cow catcher on front, nothing was going to stop us. I don't know what that is, but that sounds cool. It's cow okay. catcher. I'll, I'll show you pictures from when I was middle When you were a child, working, living in the valley. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The name of the documentary is, again, it's called Immediate Family. I don't know where the title comes from, but it's pretty good. It's, uh... Desperation. <laughs> it's directed by Denny uh, Tedesco. And it among its subjects is Leland Scalard, uh, Danny Korchmar, Danny Cooch Karchmore, Russ Kunkel, Wadi Wachtel, and Steve Postel. And it will be at, at the next festival. I mean, is there even a festival in between now and Doc NYC? Yeah. Or is, so is that the, your um, next? No, 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 no. I, I'm in Phoenix today. Sunday, right. I go to uh, St. Louis for right, you uh, the 8th. I'm in St. Louis on the 8th. And then I go home and then I go to Coronado on the 11th. And then in Minneapolis, the Sound Unseen uh, Film Slash Music Festival on the 13th. And then I go to New York for the 15th, 16th, and 17th. Right. And the 17th is for the Doc NYC Festival. Um, I'm so happy. Amazing. It's really just, uh, well, it's a perfect doc. It's a perfect festival film. I mean, people are just, you know, they love this, these types of films. And, and, And I'm only asking this, Lee, because... I saw again. I saw it on your 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 YouTube show, right after Woodstock. You you had a uh, an injury, and yet you wouldn't know looking at you. So I assume everything. I know you had a little. 
Yeah. Uh, plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah, but all these years it took you to have plastic surgery. I You're mean, the last. I mean, the only side effect was like, a month ago, I was a 13 year old girl and yeah. I hit and a lot of hormones shifted. <laughs> no, it was one of these things that you, you get so engrossed, engrossed in these things. And Denny and I, I mean, Steve Postel was with us in, in Woodstock, but after right. that, Denny and I, like he said, at 2 a.m., we were in a car driving to LaGuardia to fly mm-hmm. to Chicago, to then fly to Wichita to do that, then fly back to Chicago to Nashville, and Postel was down there, and, and Cooch was there. Well, during that whole run, which was really intense, I probably ate two meals and maybe had a bottle oh. of water, and I came Oops. home yeah. on the Monday night, and Tuesday morning, I was standing in front of my house getting ready to go pick up a load of pea gravel for a project I was doing in my backyard. And passed out, fell down, face down. Wow. Sorry street, to hear that. Knocked yeah. my teeth back. This was all stitched up. Inside of my mouth is all stitched. Hands messed up. Uh, this is just a, this is like a, a couple brain, of weeks, a, weeks ago. Brain bleed. Yeah. Um, really? Everything. Yeah. So oh. um, it was. It, it's been intense, and I'm I'm just rehabbing my hand because uh, I'm. We start rehearsals, I believe, on Monday for the upcoming gigs the band has here in in uh, Southern California. And I'm just trying to get my chops back up from this. But it was it was a really shocking thing. I don't remember any of it. I just remember mm-hmm. crawling up the side of a, uh, a Pac Bell phone company guy's truck uh, who I was talking to at the moment. And it was all covered in blood. So it was wow. So sorry. It was, it, it was yeah. nuts. But, you know, I, it was a lesson learned, you know, just to take care of yourself and not just become totally engrossed in, in what you're doing and not paying attention to your your own well-being in it. So. Mm-hmm. I'm being more cognizant about drinking water and, you know, I get up in the morning, drink a big bottle of water and take a couple of emergencies, get some electrolytes in me and Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I make a smoothie with tons of, you know, healthy stuff in it. And, and I'm off and running at that point. So I don't think it'll happen again, but uh, it was uh, only time that's ever happened in my life, but thank God it didn't happen while I was out with Denny because he was, and I would have been blamed. You would have been no help at all, (laughs) especially going, going after Woodstock. Yeah. When I left you in Woodstock, Adam, it was a, um, let's just say I was embarrassing because I left at two, two in the morning. We got in a car at 2 a.m. and I had taken a sleeping pill to try to go quickly go to sleep to get a couple hours. Well, that sleeping pill stayed in me. So I don't know how I got. I was totally hallucinating in the back. Seat. I wish I hadn't hung out with you at the event. Oh, I my mean, God. It was <laughs> It was oh, fantastic. It was yeah. so good. That's why he's like, you know, Leland, you know, he's got year, years on me. And of course, it was like, I embarrassed myself. I mean, I can't, I'm a pussy. I can't take a little tour of three days. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing I got to say. And Leland, when he, you know, everybody was going to go to Nashville. And he goes, why aren't I going to, why are I going to Tallgrass in Wichita? I said, you want to come? I'll take it. I just don't, you know, it's funny. There's this fine line of how I feel uh, asking too much from these guys. And it's not asking too much. And it's, it's about them. And it's negotiation. I mean, I feel always, I feel like doing it for me and doing it for themselves, but I don't want to. You don't want to intrude. Yeah. And Leland's always like, I'll do it. You know, and it's I'm not saying anything about the other guys. I'm just saying is Leland, if I'm going to be in a foxhole, I want to be with Leland. You know what I mean? We'll keep it at that, right, Lee? 
At least we'll be cuddling when the end yeah. comes. <laughs> there you go. Spoon away. Uh, you guys are, you guys are the best. This was so much fun. Well, thank, thank you for you. thank you for both agreeing to do this and making the time oh, and um absolutely it was so much fun. it's like a bucket list crossed out there um so i know you guys got to go so i'm gonna let you go and uh uh hopefully we'll have an opportunity our paths will cross again i would i hope so look forward to that i would love it and, and please and, anybody come to new york say hello to us i should i, I make the trip you know I, yeah it's gonna be interesting seeing you know russ there and wadi there this time they haven't seen other than you know, Russ saw it the first time with an audience. That was the other thing. We didn't have audiences on this. We always, you know, you do a film, you get test audiences. Never You're gonna get in trouble because they they're trying to get you guys off of the Zoom right now. Okay, let's get out of here. And I apologize for interrupting you. Yes, but I know how excited you are, and I appreciate. Right. It. But right. I'm getting. I got messages that you guys. Have, we have to shut this down. All right. I, I don't want to piss off my publicist friends. You know. Never. <laughs> Anyway, no. Right. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Exactly. You guys are the best. It's a pleasure. It's bye, a guys. Yeah. Cheers. All right. Bye. Bye, bye, Denny. Bye, Lee. Take care. You too. Tribeca Film Festival last spring. I'm excited to uh, bring back onto the show both Jason Schwartzman and Lily Taylor in conversations about this new Andrew Bajalski film. So look for that in just a few days. All right, this is uh, Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Things can get pretty strange in a New York minute. In a New York minute Lying here in the darkness I hear the sound